The main thing is, you know, I learned very early on when I got here, when I came to WHIP about three, four years ago, I sat down with the then general manager and we had a great talk about, you know, what the station can do for you. Because again, you know, the WHIP stands for we have infinite potential. And so if you wanted to come here and just be an on-air host and not be leadership, you can do that. If you want to just record a podcast, you can do that. And you can do that for as long as you want. But, you know, as time went on, you know, I went from doing one sports update a week to doing 10 out of the 14 updates you can do here in a month. For, for any genre? For sports and news. Wow, okay. So it's, you know, there was mornings where I was recording both sports and news updates. It's a lot of research. And all I was doing was I was just putting in what I was, what I wanted because not many people can say they worked at a college radio station as a host or as a podcast producer or a sports producer. So you truly around here, you get exactly what you put into it. If you want to put in all the effort, you will get to the top. Mike, one more time. Jimmy Freeze. Thank you very much. How are you, sir? We're going to talk a little bit about NASCAR and everything. Just thank you so much for coming on for this uh, Thank Friday. you for having me. And uh, let's do this, all right? Yes. All right. Indeed. Three, two, one. Hello, ladies and gents. This is Jimmy Freeze, and you're listening to the newest and hottest podcast on the market. This show is to connect your ears to the mouths of some of the most inspiring and influential people I know. But enough about me. Let's talk you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the WHIP studio for today's episode of Let's Talk You. Your host, Jimmy Freeze, here sitting alongside, I don't even know where to start, but I'll, I'll, I'll hit the main one, program director of WHIP studio. We have Infinite Passion Studio, that's the radio station at Temple University, Mike Carey. Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. Jimmy, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. It, I've seen the work that this show has done, and I'm like, wow, this is like... You're doing a lot. I'm, I, I'm very proud of the effort. Thank you very it's much. Great. Thank you. And uh, Mike, before you know, we get into any of the specifics, I would like to give you a specific of my own. Uh, when I joined the station for WHIP, because this podcast is gracefully aired and recorded through WHIP, um, when I came in and wanted to join the station, you told me one thing, well, at least one thing that sticks out. And you, you, you probably wish that maybe 14 things sticked out, but this one really did. And I told you a, a couple days ago, um, but you get what you put in. Yes, you get what you put into the station. The main thing is, you know, I learned very early on when I got here, when I came to WHIP about three, four years ago, I sat down with the then general manager and we had a great talk about, you know, what the station can do for you. Because again, you know, the WHIP stands for we have infinite potential. And so if you wanted to come here and just be an on-air host and not be leadership, you can do that. If you want to just record a podcast, you can do that. And you can do that for as long as you want. But, you know, as time went on, you know, I went from doing one sports update a week to doing 10 out of the 14 updates you can do here in a month. For, for any genre? For sports and news. Wow, okay. So it's, you know, there was mornings where I was recording both sports and news updates. It's a lot of research. And all I was doing was I was just putting in what I was, what I wanted, because not many people can say they worked at a college radio station as a host or as a podcast producer or a sports producer. So you truly, around here, you get exactly what you put into it. If you want to put in all the effort, you will get to the top. If you want to just put in a little bit of effort and focus on, say, television, for example, and just being on-air host, you can do that. So 
just all the effort I put in here to how fast I was able to advance through the ranks, it's a testament to, you know, you really truly do get what you put into it here. You think that has taught you about life too? Yes. Relationships? Absolutely. Even, you know, love and just building relationships and work? Absolutely. Because, you know, if you're not going to put the effort, it's, it's just, it's a life lesson. If mm -hmm. you don't put the effort into certain things, you're not going to get anywhere or, or you won't get to where you want to be. True. You know, if you're in a relationship with someone and you start not maybe putting all the effort in that you did in the beginning, you're going to see the relationship falter a little bit. And that's across uh, your partner, that's across your parents, that's across work relationships, your friendships. If you stop putting the effort in, you're not going to get anywhere. And that's not really the way you should work. Anything you do in life, you should have everything, all the effort you have should go into it, no matter how big or how small it was. I spent an hour doing sports updates, and they're a minute 16 long. But I knew for a fact that, you know, people started recognizing my voice and people and it, it, it came through with, you know, awards I've gotten and recognition I received. It's all about effort. That's really all it is to it. It's just the amount of effort you put into something, that's how far you're going to get. Quick question for you. Favorite NASCAR driver? Favorite NASCAR driver. Don't go into it. Just give me the quick one. Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon. Okay. That's just, just a little segment. Just planting that seed. That's what I'm going to hit. I like it. Mike. When did you decide Temple was your was your number one? Well, you're a senior now, correct? Yes, I am. That a puts senior. you at 23, 22. I am 22. Okay, so I when you I'm were 22. when you were a young bull, the 17, a young bull. the 17 year old, 16 year old Mike Carey, what what was he like? First of all, he was, I would say, mostly the same. Mm -hmm. Very outgoing, very sociable. Same nice haircut. No, I actually oh. used to gel my hair back. Oh, like Italian fully. style, yes. I used to gel it straight back. I had a nice bowl like going across, and I look back at those pictures, and I'm like, "Good God, what was I thinking?" Hey, man, you were um, living it up. You had yeah. swag. Um, oh yeah, back in high school, that was all. The, that was the yeah. major thing you had to have swagger. Did um, you do? What'd you do in high school? Did you do anything radio, TV wise? I was. Media? I immediately joined my high school's TV station as a freshman. Um, it was actually my sister's ex-boyfriend. Mm. Who got me involved in it? So I got to thank him for all hey, that, pretty much. It happens for a reason. Yes. And um, high school again. I'm sorry. My high school was Highland Regional High School in Blackwood, New Jersey. Hey, Jersey 20, guy. Yes, Jersey guy. Damn. Twenty oh. minutes from here. Um, so I got involved at the Blackwood. TV station there, and basically, you know, there's all the positions. You have teleprompter. You have the soundboard. You have switcher. You have uh, the cameraman. Hey, that's a that's a pretty top notch station. Yeah, and you know, as t you know. I, from where I started my freshman year to where I ended my senior year, we really like we went. We did a whole entire transition. We got new cameras. We like we went from bare bones equipment to top of the line equipment because we had a principal who thankfully was really really invested in media. Yes, and in my school district, there's only three high schools. There's Highland, there's Triton, and there's Timber Creek. Oh, Highland Creek. Yes, mm. Highland was the only one that filmed their newscast live every morning every morning timber creek and triton they recorded theirs in the afternoon for the next day wow and so, did, that means they probably edited it right they edited, edited it we didn't all we simply did fresh you know, right on we always had someone's finger was on the kill switch in the event that someone said something obscene right or something went wrong for example but no we at highland they recorded it live every single morning no editing what was your favorite position to do in high school uh, probably anchoring and directing. Okay. Um, as a freshman, you actually were not allowed to anchor or direct. So you had to learn the, the studio jobs, control room yes. jobs. Well, what 
awesome. What happened, you know, this goes back to the whole effort thing. You know, I would stay after school and just learn everything I could from my advisor, Michael Dennison. And there was one December day where all of our anchors were sick. It, it, it was really bizarre. Like, all four of them were sick. And What know, was going around? I don't Swine even flu? know. It, it was probably around that time, honestly. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he came to me and he said, you know what? You're going on. No. And you had to go through two weeks of anchor training. Like, there was an extensive process. Right. And freshmen weren't allowed to anchor. So we had... Never read a teleprompter. No. Well, at, well, this is my freshman year, so at the time, we didn't have teleprompter. We had cue cards. Oh, my goodness. So we like Monty Python. So we had someone holding the cue card right okay. next to the camera, and they would just, you know, flip it back, someone would catch it, and off you go. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, we had the anchor desk, which featured two people, and we had the podium on the other side of the room. So we had a camera facing the desk and a camera facing the podium. And the podium was just kind of like a way to just get away from the desk for a little bit. Kind of like... Um, what there used to be last year with Temple Television, the uh, plasma hit. Yeah, so right? something. Yeah, plasma. Just to get away from the desk, you know, get something new. Break for the so, eyes. Yeah. Now in high school, even right right now, I'm a small person. I'm only five six oh. at twenty two years old, and I have no facial. Hair. Are you proud of it? You have to embrace it eventually. I mean, how good did it feel when you turned twenty one and you could walk in, and you could just be like, yeah, no, no, it's real. It depends on how many times. The person at the front decides to bend it, scan it, twist it, <laughs> bite it. Because I've had, I went to Xfinity, just not to go off topic. No, it's I good. went off to Xfinity Live a couple weeks ago. I got in the door at 9.01 p.m. Okay. A friend, I had a friend of mine, that was, his band was playing. By 9.03, two minutes later, I got carded three times. What? I got carded the minute I walked in, which is expected. Right. I got carded when I bought the beer, expected. But then as I left uh, Victory, the Victory Bar and Grill, I had security call me out and they said, you know, sir, can you uh, come here a minute? And I'm thinking, do I have something on me? Like, what right. I do? They said, uh, can we just check your ID real quick? I'm thinking, here we go. And so I had it ready because I knew it was going to happen and I gave it to him and, you know, the guy's like twisting it, bending it, biting it, scanning it, doing all that fun stuff. And I'm sitting there with my beer and I'm still like just drinking it like casually. Like, right, you know, just probably halfway like, done by the time yeah. he's finished. And he, he's like, I I'm sorry, man, you, you just, you you're a little guy, aren't you? <laughs> and that's pretty much how the night started. So every time I walked by the same security guard, I said, you want to check it again? I'm the little guy? Yeah, I would, I would give him the card every Can single time. Can you see me? And the thing is, I had the wristband on him for drink special. Like, I had everything. Jeez. And I was VIP for my friend's band, so I was like, you know. You were top-notch stuff. I thought I was should have rolled pretty. out a red carpet yeah. for you. I thought I was sitting pretty, but no, I got carded at three times in two minutes. <laughs> is that a record? But okay, right so, now, right now it is. So you, you, the anchor, so he says, you know, oh shoot, we need uh, Mike. Mm -hmm. You got a nice haircut, and then maybe did that. That know, was the slick back hair. Yeah, there it yeah. was. Wow. So that was the first time we saw it on the screen. So go ahead. How was it? Well, the the funny part was my sister was a senior at the time, and I okay. didn't tell her. So like you know, all of her, all of her friends I thought were cute were watching it and everything. Um. So what happened was the podium itself was pretty. Um, it was tall. It was a tall podium. So we actually had this little triangular table. I had to stand on it. On how the podium. Because <laughs> I on was the small. podium? I was small. How how uh, how big was the table? The table was probably about a, f uh, I would say about a foot off the ground. All right. Maybe. Because the thing was, as I was sitting at the podium, as I was standing at the podium, it was a tall, it was a tall podium. All right. The microphone was covering my whole face. Oh my God. So they put me on the table. And all of a sudden, I'm like hunched over like Dwayne Johnson, like sitting in like, you know, the kid's place at McDonald's. I'm like, I'm hunched over it. And people are like, whoa, he's really tall. He's really big. And then the minute I got the NBA. done it, yeah. And the minute I got done it, I just, boop, hopped right off. And then, you know, I was 4'11 again. 
Really? Something like that. Yeah, I was Freshman very, year. very, very tiny. You didn't get made fun of, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, throughout elementary school, middle school, even high school, you know, I was bullied a lot, you mm -hmm. know, just because of I, I was small. But the thing is, I also learned, too, is, you know, when you're on TV, when you're on radio, the, the, the target's a little bit bigger on your back. Oh, true, true. And, and, and I learned okay. that a lot even through high school was, you know, especially as a freshman and a sophomore because mm -hmm. my sister was a senior and she had a lot of friends in the class, but you always had those couple stragglers that were like, you know, just looking for trouble all the time. Of course. And yeah, yeah you, you deal with that kind of stuff. And, you know, I feel like that's actually a good builder for you, especially if you're in this business, because if you're going to be a broadcaster, you're going to be a reporter, you're going to be an announcer, you're going to be criticized heavily. I, I put my stuff up on social media all the time and I've had random people, you know, DM me and just, you know, talking about how you know, they, they criticize you very heavily. And there was at one point where, you know, I would tweet out stories just about like, you know, what's been going on. And I've had death threats against me. And the story, really? the stories were nothing controversial. It was just content. That's insane. And, you know, people have said like, you know, oh, you know, you know, you deserve this, you know, you, you should be beat up and all this stuff. And some of them have gotten even more extreme. It's just what comes with it. And I'm not a controversial person. At least I don't think I am. No, I, you don't I'm seem not, to be. My social media, I don't put out anything horrible. You know, no. I put out things that people either want to know or need to know. And then you have that random Twitter user with like four followers yeah. and a picture of their dog as their AVI and yeah. they're just, you know, starting trouble. It's just Twitter trolls. Waste of time. Yes. Mike Carey, let's talk to you. Thank you again, Mike, for joining me. So, Mike, let's get into... The, the graphics side of your uh, your expertise. Okay. You tell me about it. When did it start? Uh, my designing. Yeah. So the I've always had a. Th I'll tell you where I honestly started. It started with NASCAR. Oh man. When I first started watching NASCAR, I fell massively in love with Jeff Gordon's Rainbow Warrior scheme from like the late nineties. Okay. So this was before the flames on the interstate. Yes. Car. Okay. This was before the flames. And after I saw that, I, I just, I started drawing my own cars because like, you know, that's a job. And I would just, I would print out blank p pictures of cars, like templates, if you will. And I would just draw and just color and just see what would happen. And even now, you know, I don't design for any race team in particular, but with social media nowadays, there are designers who get picked up by teams because of what they put on social media. So, you know, I'll create a design just out of the blue. You know, I'll... Mike, I, I, I was talking to Jake Zebley about it. He works for Temple yeah. News, and he's going to be on the show. And I saw one day you just posted a bunch of NASCAR car designs, and they were so freaking cool, dude, because the one was the Temple Update Election Day. Yeah. That's that awesome. That was a fun one. And you did the Flyers, the Eagles. Um, oh, I I forget the other one. Do you remember I, that little that? But it was it was just. I, so I've cool. done you know I did a temple design. I've yeah, the, done the temple, the and they're diamonds. so complete, Mike. Yeah, very good. Thank you, thank you. So you know with those, it's just you know no one's paying me to do anything. It's just you know I look at a template and I'm just first first usually I think of who I want the sponsor to be. I've done temple. I've done I've done sports teams. I've done real companies. I've done real concepts with like you know I take. A real sponsor with a real driver number and I make a scheme out of it what's your favorite one that you've done probably the temple one I did yeah so that was really the first one that I ever really designed heavily and what I did was it was a red Chevy Camaro um, and I individually designed one single diamond with the temple T in the middle perfect if you look at the 
temple football helmets when they do the acres of diamonds design oh. it's a diamond and there's a temple t in the middle so i designed one of them and i copy and pasted it about a thousand times and i repeated it consistently i slapped that on i put a gradient from cherry to white on top of it and you know it looks like it's a solid red and then it fades out into the diamond design so i did that one and i also did a white version for like the nighttime races if you will awesome so that was probably my favorite one um and you know like even now like you know even though i'm a little bit busier now you know i still i pull up a blank template i just look at it for a little bit you know i look up like logos online just to spur an idea i look up old paint schemes and sometimes i combine two together i mean it's it's a lot of fun do i expect to design a real race team probably not but hey you know, know with social media you literally never ever know i i think you would agree you treat social media as a visual resume yes, yes i do and like you were saying, nothing controversial. You're not out there, and and maybe one or two things like the new, you know, new new news will be the first ones to break it. No, probably not. <laughs> but Jeff Collins, you know, changing yes. the uh, teams, going to Georgia Tech, like, you know, like like John DeCarlo tells us in his class. You could give your own opinion on that, sure, I guess. Mm -hmm. But tell me, tell me a story that nobody's really looking at, and one that I saw on your Instagram on your visual resume if you will, last night or two nights ago, was the Flyers Power Play Club. Mike, you said that was your favorite story that you've done for Temple Update. We'll yes. get into the Temple Update work that you've done. Tell me about that story, though. So I actually discovered, so for those of you who don't know, the Philadelphia Flyers actually have a, an organization within the organization. It's called the, Fly, it's called the Philadelphia Power Play. Now, they are a power hockey team. And what power hockey is, it's basically hockey, but for those who are uh, wheelchair bound and they use motorized wheelchairs. And th this, is a legitimate, wow. this is a legitimate league. There are, this, is, this is serious. And yeah. other teams, do the Blackhawks and teams like that have it? Um, I don't not, not, not specific. Not whatever. all of them are official members of the organization because the Flyers. So the, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. The Philadelphia Power Play originally were, them and the Flyers were two totally different things. You had the power play and then the Flyers. Last year or two years ago, the Flyers absorbed the power play into their own organization. So you have an NHL team that now helps support and brand. And they even use the Flyers logo. I was just about to ask. Yeah. They, they have rights to all that? Yes. With the jerseys? That's yeah. absolutely incredible. And so on Sunday, every year, they have a yearly game between the Flyers, alumni, and community members, and the power play. So the power play members, you know, they're, you know, they're all uh, individuals with disabilities, so they're all using motorized wheelchairs, and the Flyers community members are using regular wheelchairs. And so they have to use wheelchairs while they play hockey. And it's really, really, wow. it's cool to wow. see just because, you know, you really, you know, they, the community members can really get a great understanding. Of what it's like. Yes. And the, the, the community members, they don't use motorized ones. They use regular ones. So you have to, you know, one hand has your it's a stick. stick. Yeah. The other hand, you got to use your... Oh, yeah. my goodness. And a lot of times, they put the stick on their lap, and they use the wheels, and they get to where they got to go, pull the stick out. It's a lot. Wow. So, um... You mind if we release that story, uh, you know, a little link to please, it Please, no, absolutely. That would be, um, be great, dude. The, so I discovered the power play a couple years ago because my girlfriend's best friend is one of the members on the team. Her name's Leah Donaghy. And um, it was two weeks ago, and I was sitting in, I just got done my, a Temple Update show, and I needed a story idea. I needed one more story. I just wanted to get one more done, so I get it on the air. And by luck of the draw, Leah had texted me, and she said, hey, listen, 
uh, if you need a great story idea, you know, we're playing, we're having our yearly hockey game against the Flyers alumni members at uh, Newman University. I text my producer, she said, go for it, got my camera, and off I went. Awesome. Um, so, you know, like Lou Nolan, the PA announcer, was there. Right. Lauren Hart, the national anthem singer, yes. was there. Uh, Gritty stopped by for a little bit. Did that he? was. He even hopped, else. he hopped on a wheelchair. I was going to ask him. And he was doing his own. He was chasing his security guards, and you know, he was having practice with one of the players before the game started. I mean, it's really, really a great organization. So and he they, could he could do it. He could be on the wheelchair and play. Gritty could have done it. Yes. So he practiced. Yes. That's even the cooler part. Gritty Mascot put the team. he put out like a, a you know, but before that he put it out in his schedule. Practice for that game. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's something else. Yeah. And so. Um, they actually, the power play, they were 2018 world champions just last year. They just won the world championship. And they are part of the North American Power Hockey Association. So it's a bunch of teams across the country. And once a year, uh, last year it was in the Philadelphia Convention Center, they all meet together and they have a tournament. Oh, my god! So How many teams are there about? Probably? I believe there's six or seven. Awesome. I think. So it's relatively new. They just formed the organization itself. But still, like, it's a... Just to see it happen, like, I will tell you this. When I first went, I didn't know what to expect. And once the game was done, when I went two years ago, I was, like, blown away. I was like, that was damn good. And the game we had, the game that the power play had on Sunday uh, last week, the one kid alone, Jake Saxon, he scored 10 goals out of 14. The final score was 14-14. How old is he? Remember? He's about, about, I would say, 19. Wow. And he had the same maneuvers. Do these, and they just couldn't keep up. Do they have, um, like, moments before? Like, were they, uh, you know, anything special? Uh, before the game started, they actually, the Flyers community members actually donated a $5,000 check to the Power Play organization. And so everybody was on hand for that. You know, Gritty, of course, was right in the middle with the championship trophy. And so that that's what it's really all about. It was community-based, but, you know, just to see, you know, the alumni members also had season ticket holders, uh, Flyers personnel, even interns. Yeah. Just working, doing Interns the things. Interns played, yeah. Oh, they were playing too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my god. Every gosh. five minutes, you know, it's a typical hockey yeah, game. Three you periods, go. 20 minutes. And every five minutes, there's a line change. All hands on deck. Yeah. So, you know, they were consistently rotating. What they were experience. interns playing. Yeah, no, it was, honestly, it was very, I mean, the weather was bad, but, you know, that was the only thing that kind of dampened my day. But it was, <laughs> I, when I saw that game, I was like, at the at, by the time the game was done, I went through two batteries. Of, for the camera. Yeah, and at, at and how long they, do they you only get two batteries. Yeah, you only get two? Yeah. You get do one they give you a charger one, too? one big one. They do, but I didn't think I would need it. But I, there's just so much mm-hmm. good content. Editing the thing was even worse just because it's like there's so much good stuff. And how I have a I minute 30. <laughs> it was like impossible. <laughs> 90 but seconds. No, the, the uh, Philadelphia Power Play, they're a great organization, a great group of people. You know, they were so thankful that, you know, someone was covering them because they don't get a lot of coverage. No. And I was very surprised when I just learned that, you know, I was the only person there covering it. And even Newman University, they didn't even have their uh, journalism department covering it. I was the only person that was there. And on social media, it's gotten a lot of it's got a lot of great reception so far, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but no, it's a great, great organization. It really is. Very cool, Mike. Mike, let's get into the hot topic. Oh, boy. NASCAR, baby. Boogity, 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 boys. Let's go racing. I met him, too. I met Daryl Waltrip. Yeah. Did you meet Daryl? I met Daryl. I met Jeff Gordon. I met all the broadcasters. So, first, before we get into the you know nitty gritty of it, tell me about your time spent with the NASCAR NASCAR organization. So, um, what had happened was I had joined. Are you familiar with Mark Zumoff for the Seventy Sixers? Yes, I am. Okay, went to a Temple. Mark has a broadcasters development program that's invite only. 
So in 2014, he he came every year to speak with George Miller's writing for uh, I'm sorry, Journalism and Society course, and I saw him and I was like, wow, that's that's the play-by-play guy for the 76ers. He's a big deal. So unfortunately, I couldn't meet him after I class. So I emailed him. I said, look, I said I'm very thankful that you came. Um, I'd love to send you some of my stuff if possible. And he said, absolutely. You know, let's keep in touch. He gave me his phone number and off we went. Uh, about a year later, he invited me to uh, a Sixers game. He put me up in the Comcast suite. So I was watching the game, you know, just Maybe. catered. It was, yeah, it was very, very nice. Near the Cadillac Grill? Yes. There you go. Um, and then we signed a contract. So I'm signed with his broadcaster development program. So basically I have 24-7 access to Mark whenever I need him. I can send him my stuff, get critiques on it. Um, and his connections have actually helped me because I was able to be a runner for a Eagles Redskins game about two years ago. It was actually yeah, it was two years ago yesterday I found out. Two years okay for the skin at, at the link of course. Yes, it was at the link, and I came across a gentleman named Artie Kempner. Artie Kempner is at said game. At the game, yes. He is the uh, he was the director of NFL on Fox at the time. I think he still is, and also NASCAR on Fox. So we sat down, we talked for a while. Um, he gave me his email, and I actually told him, I said, I actually know a woman personally who knows you. And so that's how we hit it off pretty well. And I think that helped a lot. And he told me, he said, you know, you want to be, like, at the track, don't you? I was like, absolutely. I said, I want to see what Fox Sports does with NASCAR coverage. I want to see how everything works. I want to set up the compound. I want to take down the compound. And so, you know, after about a year of getting things organized, uh, just this past summer, uh, I was able to be a runner for Fox Sports at uh, Dover, Dover National Speedway, as well as the Poconos. So I, fortunately enough, was assigned to, because the way Fox does is they assign runners to specific areas. Okay. So they have a couple of the TV compound. They have one in the infield at, the, at something called the Hollywood Hotel, which is like their pre-race studio, and they have one in the booth. They put me in the booth for both races. Both? So, Yeah. So oh my goodness! I'm sitting there, and I'll never forget. I was at okay. the, I was at the Dover race, and it was Friday morning. Right. Uh, you know, Cup Series practice was at about eleven o'clock. So I'm just sitting up there, just taking it all in. I'm like, this is really amazing, and it was small. Their place is small. Is it? Dover's is very very small. Like the 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 broadcast booth itself. Broadcast booth. Okay. It, it's probably double the size of the studio we're in, and this is about I would say eight by I'm uh, sorry ten by like six. Mm-hmm. It's, it's small. So you got how many cameras? Two. Three? One. There's just one camera one. inside of the broadcast booth, and okay. that just points directly at the anchors. Okay. Um, and three anchors? Yes. It was Mike Joy, Daryl Waltrip, and four-time champion Jeff Gordon. Never forget Mike Joy. We're, we're going to talk about him in a little bit. So, um, and I'll never forget, uh, first, I recognize Jeff Gordon's publicist. Okay. His person, you know, I, his name's I, John I Edwards. I knew that. Yeah, his name's John Edwards. <laughs> I saw him walk in. I'm thinking, oh, he's coming. Oh, he's baby. coming. Oh, baby. And then he opens the door, and I just felt this like number 24. I felt vibe. this presence yeah. just come next to me, and I look over, and it's him. And I, even to this day, I'm so shocked at how well I handled it. I didn't even say hi to him. Because the thing is, you know, we, you know, they're broadcasters, and some of them, their job is just get in there, do their stuff, and get out. So I don't want to bother them. So I, I just I gave him a wave, and that was it. And then about 20 minutes later, during a break, he came up to me. And he said, so uh, what's your story? And I said, well, Jeff Gordon, I'm Michael oh Carey. Pleasure to meet you. Um, I am a college senior. And he said, what? 
Makawa Senior Temple. Do I need to get that triangle table out again? Well, because I guess at the time, you know, uh, I can't grow facial hair, so I don't know why I'm going to say this. I shaved. Right. So all seven hairs were gone. And he pulls me aside and he takes me over to Daryl Waltrip. Oh, and my he's goodness like, gracious. Daryl, he said, DW, how old do you think this guy is? And Daryl's like, mm, about 18 or so. And he said, he's 21. And he was like, Jeff, you got to be effing kidding me, dude. <laughs> And so that was something that, you know, and it might told me, you know, oh, I had the same problem growing up. I was I oh young, uh, but that was a good thing to hit off about. You know, right. Daryl was shocked. Jeff was shocked. Um, and so that's how we just established a great connection. And so the rest of the weekend, you know, I started earning their trust. We started talking. And me and Jeff Gordon had a great conversation about the sport. And honestly, you know, there's a lot of people within the sport that – know a lot of information that the public doesn't and jeff shared some information with me and i was like wow i did not know that was happening that was going to happen that this mm-hmm. is he was giving me all his information and you know as a trusted person with him i'm i can't say what the information was but i was just like are you serious the that? fact that he felt comfortable yeah to say that to you and you know it was me me him and daryl waltrip at one point before the saturday qualifying practice we all sat behind the camera and we just talked for 20 minutes about drivers about the teams about the sport in general um he asked me questions i asked him questions what's the one thing that you can tell us that you remember from it like the like you could put it on a plaque is there a specific line one of them said um i pretty much just asked him i I said you know after you wanted to drive you drove for so long you had a wildly successful career. Why was 2015 the time to hang it up? And he said... Jeff Gordon now. Jeff Gordon. Right. He said that he wanted to focus more on his children because uh, uh, his kids, uh, Ella and Leo, Leo is about, uh, I think, six. Ella's about nine, I think. And uh, Leo Gordon, that's a whole other story. He's a spitting image of Jeff. Is he? Oh, my God, yeah. Is he into racing too? Yeah. There you go. But Jeff told me, he said, you know, if Leo, if racing involved like Star Wars, Leo would be doing it right away. Um, (laughs) You should make a Star Wars design. Send it to Jeff. That's Give give it it to Leo. Leo. Give it to Leo. That's a good idea. Wait for, look up Leo's birthday. Yeah. Send it to him. Really, really good. That could work. (laughs) Um, You know, there was nothing really specific, but it was more just the fact that he was able to genuinely say, you know, I want to spend more time with my family and my kids. And during the off season, you know, because Fox broadcast the first 18 races of the year. So after the beginning of July, NBC takes over. He's in Dubai with his kids. He's going ziplining with it. I mean, he's really, really enjoying it. And, you know, it, it was just, it was so great just to finally talk to the guy. Did you talk to him? Is, is it weird for him to just hand it off to NBC? Like, this is our last race, even though it's the mid midway through the season? Well, I, the thing is, Daryl, Jeff, and Mike, they do their own thing over the summer. You know, Jeff will still go to races because he is a part owner of Hendrick Motorsports. He has half ownership of the 24 team and the 48 team, which was Jimmy Johnson's team. Um, My favorite. He has part ownership. So he goes to the track. And I remember, you know, when I was working at Richmond for NBC, uh, I passed by his motor coach. I passed by Dale Jr.'s motor coach. And they are some sexy motor coaches, man. <laughs> they are works of art on wheels. Oh, my God. You could just smell how expensive it was. Really? Yes. The drivers own because the, they every racetrack has a driver owners lot, where okay. it's private security. Okay. No one steps in there unless they're credentialed, and thankfully I was credentialed. 
because I was tasked with going through there, picking people up, just getting familiar with the area. Right. And the minute you drive in there, you can just smell how expensive those motorhomes are. Wow. Very, very expensive. And they have personal drivers. They come with golf carts. Yeah. Do they tailgate? Um, Families? Some members will. Some members do. Like I remember I saw um, Elliot Sadler. He <laughs> used to be a Cup Series driver. M&M's, 38, yes, right? Yes, he, he, it was him. Now, he, now cool. he drove for Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series. He just retired. Right. And I remember at Richmond, I, I drove through the motorhome. He was outside eating breakfast with his, I think it was his family and his crew members. We're outside his motorhome. How awesome. He was dressed in sweats, shirt, his one main financial hat, and he was just eating breakfast. Do they take them on vacation, off-season? That's a great question. I know that some teams do have team-building exercises, specifically with Hendrick Motorsports. You know, I've seen, I think it was about two years ago, Jimmy Johnson took his entire team paintballing. Did he? Yeah, as like a team-building activity. <laughs> um, I like that. And there was one year in 2011 when Tony Stewart, he won his third championship. He became part owner of Stewart Haas Racing. Um, he actually flew the entire organization, from the janitors to the executives. He flew them all out to Las Vegas for the awards banquet. Holy hell. Expensive bill. That's very expensive. But but a nice I love you. That's what happens, you know, and they're very close knit communities, yeah. Yes. And more so now with the drivers, like you have a lot of young guns right now. You have Chase Elliott, Bill Elliott's son, Ryan Blaney, Dave Blaney's son, Bubba Wallace, uh Daryl Wallace Jr. Um, you have a lot of young drivers that they all hang out outside the racetrack. Chase, Bubba, and Ryan, especially Ryan and Bubba, they hang out all the time. Do they? At each other's house. Yeah. They go out to dinner together. They hang out at each other's house. So, question for you. So, you're talking about all the, uh, you know, stored house, house racing, mm-hmm. and all this. For a non-NASCAR person. Uh, so, you have about, four per race, about 40 to 43, 44 cars mm-hmm. in the race. Tell me how many teams there are, though. Describe like the the team aspect of it because that that so, might be a little confusing. There's organizations, and then there's teams. The organizations own the teams. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's like this. There's Chase Elliott who drives a nine car, William Byron in the twenty four, Jimmy Johnson in the forty eight, and Alex Bowman in the eighty eight. Those are four teams. Hendrick Motorsports is the organization that owns those teams. Now I get it. Some, there's about, I would say, seven organizations in NASCAR, like main ones. They all can own multiple teams. Richard Childress Racing owns the three team and the 31 team. And occasionally you can actually field another rookie car. Childress doesn't own Dale? Dale Jr., the eight car actually, uh, Richard does own the eight car. However... You might remember how the stylized eight, like that forward-leaning number eight that Dale had, they cannot run that number. They, they can't. can't run it in that fashion because Teresa Earnhardt, Dale's um, wife, Dale Sr.'s wife, owns that number, like that stylized number. So, And she's been very, very, um, very cautious and very protective mm-hmm. of the Earnhardt brand. Do you remember, speaking of Mike Joy and... Dale Earnhardt, God rest his soul. Do you remember that race? I do. I remember watching it in front of my TV when I was about five years old. Do you remember Mike Joy, like how he, tr- how do you even try to keep it? I saw him in an interview. He tried to inform the viewers of what was going on, but 
you gotta face the facts and yeah. but you want to be soft and, and still you don't want to scare them away i guess because mm -hmm. they're showing showing the the, the the they're following the ambulance to the hospital mm -hmm. with a, a, a nascar driver in the back mm -hmm. like this was this was all just just a, a fun race at first yeah. and the announcers are stressing out about what stats to know and now he's got to know how he's going to deliver this to the what do you remember from that? that what race? I remember from that was now as a when I was five, I don't remember the race like entirely. I just remember seeing Earnhardt crash. I didn't think anything of it. I remember seeing the ambulance and all that, but Is the, he, who did he crash with? He crashed with Sterling Sterling Marlin. Yeah. What happened was uh, Earnhardt he had, Earnhardt had both his cars, his team cars, because he owned Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, but he drove for Richard Childress Racing because Richard allowed him to own his own team. And they had a line. They had an alliance where they share information. They share cars, chassis, engines, whatever. Um, you had Sterling Marling on the bottom, Earnhardt in the middle, and Ken Schrader on top. Dale was in a very, very bad place because there he had Sterling and Ken on either side of his quarter panels, and especially on super speedways with how aerodynamically dependent those cars are, one slip and you're getting wrecked. So Marlin kind of came up just a little bit, and it was enough contact to get Earnhardt. He turned down the racetrack. He tried to save it. He overcorrected it, and, and, he, and he went straight into the concrete wall. But at the same time he hit that wall, Ken Schrader hit him in the, in the passenger side door. So your head is going forward and sideways. And Earnhardt did not like wearing—he had a bus seat for his ride, for Did his car he? for years until NASCAR made an him change actual it. bus seat. Yeah, because it was more comfortable. He always wore an open face helmet, never wore a closed face helmet because he wanted to feel the air. Like that's how he, like, this guy was so technical, he could feel the air while he was driving and he knew when to make his move just by feeling the air. Nowadays, you can't do that because NASCAR mandates closed face helmets and you now head and neck restraints. Was this because of him? Yes. NASCAR developed an entirely new car called the car of tomorrow which was much safer um it, it took away a lot of the manufacturer identities of the cars so basically every car was the same except the decaling for the headlights for example were different every car body was the exact same back then in the old days it wasn't the same every All car different. manufacturer had slightly different front ends different rear ends to reflect the on-track car. I'm sorry, the uh, the on-street car. Mm -hmm. You know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. That's NASCAR's battle cry. So when NASCAR introduced this new car, it was called the Car of Tomorrow. They made it much safer. They moved the driver six inches to the center of the car. They, you know, they reinforced more of the windshield, more of the chassis, more of the seating, more of the belts. Th like, these guys have seven-point belt strengths now. They have belts everywhere. If they get into an accident, they're not moving, and it's it's proven. You know, we've had we had has NASCAR had injuries? Yes, uh, we've had NASCAR has had a couple of injuries in the past couple of years, but none of them were ever. I mean, concussions. You can't really prevent that because you know their head is so their heads are so constrained because they have uh, they have a two pound collar they wear on their neck called the head and neck restraints, called the Hans device. Okay, that clips to the helmet. So basically, in an accident, that two-pound restraint will help keep the head from like flying forward. Okay. Um, and then they have giant their seats. You know, picture a typical car seat. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're sitting in your car. Now picture two gigantic foam um, squares next to your head, keeping your head like Ooh. stable. 
It's like if you ever get a head injury, God forbid, and they make you wear that orange box looking thing on your head to keep your neck stable. Okay. Picture that in a race car for four hours. <laughs> like a really uncomfy, really tight gaming chair. Yes, but um, intricate. Each team actually gets the seats molded to the driver. So every single seat is different. So that's why if you get into an accident and you have to have a relief driver, because NASCAR can do that. You can start a race and then let someone else drive the car. Is there a certain lap, certain lap about? No, you could start the race. The first minute, lap you go around. Eh, the first lap you can go, it depends on the conditions. Okay. We've had drivers who have gotten sick in the car, had to get out, and then a relief driver comes in. We've had drivers who, like even Dale Jr. in 2004, for example, he got into a sports car accident. He was testing at a sports car track that NASCAR ran at to gain more uh, te- uh, knowledge on the racetrack, and he crashed the car, and the car burst in flames. And so Dale got minor burns. So for about eight weeks, he couldn't drive a car f- f- for the whole race. Oh. So he would start the race about 30 laps in, maybe. He would come into pit road, get out of the car. A new driver would come in and run the rest of the race. Unbelievable. But who nowadays, would get credit with the W? The driver who starts the race gets credit with the, with the win. So he's in victory lane holding up the trophy. If the relief driver wins... Then yes, the relief driver gets all the glory, but for the point system, the driver who started the race gets the credit. Okay, I get that. There's a lot of rules in NASCAR that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, a lot of questionable things, but you know, you, you got to kind of, you know, just understand everything, I guess. Before we close it out, Mike, thank you so much. Of course, thank you for having for me. Coming on, um, a lot of people criticize NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Can't hide from that fact. Mm-hmm. And I. Is his name something smart? Is it Kirby Smart? No, that's a, that's a football coach. But there there's a Fox analyst who covers football now, but he started with NASCAR. That would be Chris Myers. Uh-huh. Is Chris Myers thinking of? No, this guy's more of a Southern guy. He's he's got a Southern draw. He's uh, haircut's short, gelled hair. I'll I'll uh, whatever. But what's your favorite thing about NASCAR? When people say, "Oh, what do they just do? Take left turns?" What is your first thing? Besides an ex- an expletive, what's the first thing you say? Why should why should I watch NASCAR on Sunday instead of football? Well, I think a lot of people have different opinions on the sport. Obviously, you know, first thing is it a sport? You know, that that's a question in itself. For me personally, it's how much preparation goes into every single weekend. NASCAR is quite literally a traveling circus. They there are about. I would say there's about a hundred or so tractor trailers that go to the racetrack every weekend. Between all three, there's three NASCAR series, the truck series, the Xfinity series, and the cup series. In addition to the broadcast trucks, there's about 120 trucks that go to each racetrack every single week. Sitting in the infield, you're saying? Some of them sit in the infield, each track's different. And that's not even fans? No. Fans will camp out three days before a race starts to get there early and tailgate for the whole weekend. It's literally a party every single weekend. And you have the, do they still have the shops that are the vans or the? They're bringing those back. They, Cause this, they're cool. Two years ago, baby. the company Fanatics came in and made it into a giant tent and people were pissed. Cause that was, that was a it's thing a tra- that, It's gotta be a trailer. Yeah, that was something that a lot of people missed and now they're bringing them back again. That's But so cool. um, you know, as far as the production side of it goes, not everybody can see the production side of it. Thankfully I've had you gain a whole new appreciation. Because even during the race, I'm thinking, okay, about 10 laps to go, I guarantee you right now, the Fox Sports personnel are sitting on their golf carts at the exit of the pedestrian tunnel to the infield, getting ready to pick up the people. 
pick up reporters and you, know, you just know that watching though. the race i can i know what's going so on so much more compound. than yes, just the race so now. much more interesting but as far as the casual fam it's very demanding drivers can lose up to 10 pounds in a race are you serious yeah sweating yeah and especially like you said in in a very claustrophobic they raced, state they race in places you know they race in california in june they race in Phoenix in, in November. Like they race in places that are very in Michigan too. Michigan in the middle of the summer, you get a hot day because the thing is, on track if it's like eighty degrees out in the car, it could be up to hundred and thirty. My God! And even this no you, AC system. There is an AC system. Okay, there, that's not that not how it always used to be, right? No, that's new, right? AC. Well, because they have a tube that goes into their helmet and it blows cool air into the helmet. That's pretty cool. But, you know, to show at certain race weekends, you know, the broadcast teams will put a thermometer in the car. And this year alone, there was quite a number of drivers who were having to get rushed to the infield care center after the race was done to get IVs. Dehydration? Yeah. Dehydration. Because there's even, you know, some drivers have um, drinking systems in their helmet. Wow. They attach their helmet to it. And they have a straw that goes in the helmet and through their mouth. So they can just drink Gatorade while they're racing, and that's great. That's um, amazing. But if you run out, yeah. you got a problem. Because it's very hard to replace. You know, Sometimes there's water bottles that they yeah. they do water bottles instead. That's just the thing you have to start to – That's got it's, it's another thought that's in the back of your head. Yeah. yeah oh, by the way, I have to drink while yeah. I'm racing. And, but conserving that drink. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not endless. Mm-hmm. So there's that, um, you know, how aware you have to be. Because, I mean, there's a great, great uh, video on YouTube. Uh, ESPN does their sports science series. They had a driver swallow a pill that was a bunch of sensors for a race. He swallowed the pill. They latched them up with oh sensors, whatever. Goodness. His heart rate was, you know, uh, marathon runners have a high heart rate during when they're running their races. That lasts for about maybe 20 minutes. If you're one of the top tier runners, their heart rate is that high for four hours straight Oof. there's a lot of blood pumping everything going yeah your, your mind you, you like if do you see these guys after races like are they in like a mental state like, they, like they're perfectly fine because they're just so used to it because they train for it True. there's drivers who work out five days a week i mean there's multiple drivers who run triathlons like every other week to stay in shape to race so these guys are crazy athletes yes with in, crazy endurance and do you see them do you see him pre-race doing anything, one, anything peculiar? Some drivers um, stretch a lot before the race. Some, I mean, Jimmy Johnson, I saw him at Dover this past October. He was doing, he was bike riding around Dover. Was he? The, yeah. the actual track? Like no? the outside of the track. Just outside, I yeah. saw him wearing his Jimmy Johnson Foundation shirt, and I was like, I'm just, I'm like, oh, there goes Jimmy. <laughs> and of course, he's on a bike, which, and, he, and drivers, they do it together. Right. They bike together. And... I'll give you an example. In Phoenix this year, Jimmy Johnson biked 50 miles to and from around Phoenix. What? With, with anybody? With, with crew members, drivers, Man. a bunch of different people. Do you, see, uh, the, do you see the relationships come out during the race of Between, guys who are close, guys who are in the same organization? There, there are times, uh, especially on super speedway racetracks. They work together. Such give me give me a good example. Is that when they get back? Is that when they drift behind each other? They, yeah, it's they go bumper to bumper and they draft each other. Oh, draft. Okay. So on super speedways, you'll see a lot of manufacturers, Chevy, Ford, Toyota. They will all work together. Ford has this thing figured out. They they've won I think seven of the last nine super speedway races. 
Whoa. And but you're saying, isn't the car the same? Did you say that? Well, nowadays, because after the car of tomorrow, they move to the gen- Generation 6 cars. Oh. And now these cars are basically spitting images of the, on- the, uh, the street car. But they're still safer, too. Okay. So like Toyota, for example, if you look at the brand new 2018 Toyota Camrys, they were designed, I don't think a manufacturer's ever done this, they were designed hand-in-hand together. The oh. race car and the production car were designed together the whole way through the process. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. I would have, like, I never, like, thinking about that now. All the Toyota cars that were actually Toyota, I just thought they were Toyota, but they were actually called Toyota Camrys, weren't they? Yeah. Holy heck, and then you, they realized, why don't you make it two? Yeah. So it's like the person actually feels like they're driving somewhat this of a This year, they're running the Chevy Camaros, they're running the Ford Mustangs now in the Cup Series, and they're running the Toyota Camrys. And eventually, the Supra, which is coming back, well, is now in the Xfinity series from 2019. Call that again? What the is Supra. It? Supra. The classic Toyota sports car. Okay. So um, they, they do the truck series, Xfinity, and then Cup is like the playoffs. Yes, the Cup series, about 26 races in. They they get they get the top 16 drivers. They will reset the points. And every three races, they eliminate four drivers. That's Until awesome. the last race of the year, they have four drivers left. If you win a race in any of the three rounds, you automatically advance to the next one. Okay. And that creates a lot of high-pressure situations, especially on the, the cutoff races. Mm-hmm. And this year in particular, one of them was on a road course at Charlotte Motor Speedway. They reconfigured the course so it can be an oval as well as a road course and an oval. They call it the Roval. And this year, that like, no, like drivers were wrecking left and right during practice because NASCAR didn't let them test there to kind of generate more excitement. Right. And it was a very, very good race. Wait, is this like is this what they used to have in like NASCAR 2005 Chase the Cup, Chase for the Cup Fantasy with tracks? Yeah, yeah. Like like some of them was one was like Devil something, and, and the turns were like you're going through like hills and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I don't imagine you won't see those, but no. like, if, like you know Daytona, the turns. Daytona had an infield, Talladega had an infield, and these were fantasy tracks. Now they're becoming a reality. Charlotte, the Charlotte race at the Roval was immensely popular people are still talking like fans are still talking about how great the finish was how could they not be oh who, who was it between it was between jimmy johnson awesome. and uh martin truex jr and what happened was jimmy was on the verge of if jimmy didn't win that race he was gonna be left out of the playoffs and would not be eligible to win his eighth championship because once you're eliminated from the playoffs you can't win the championship anymore so he had to win the race so the last lap it's truex and johnson bumper to bumper they're like he's following each other whatever they get into the last turn and there's something called a chicane, where it's like you slow down, it's a quick sudden turn, it's like an S, if you will. So, excuse me. They, Jimmy put the brakes on too hard and he locked the brakes and he spun. So while Truex is going through the chicane, Jimmy, as he's spinning, got into Truex and they both spun. And there's like four seconds where no one's leading the race and like, they, the rule is, if you spin out in the chicane, you have to come to a complete stop on the track and then go. Okay. So Jimmy and Truex are stopped on the racetrack for a certain amount of seconds. And then here comes Ryan Blaney, one of the young guns, just sweeps right through, gets the win. Truex finished, I think, like sixth or so. Johnson finished like 12th or so. Missed the playoffs. And then after the race was done, Truex, post-race, Truex dumped Johnson on the on the cooldown lap because he was pissed off, obviously. What does that mean, dumped? Like he just spun him out intentionally. Really? Mm-hmm. So, on the last, the what was it called? The last lap? Like, after the checker flag? After the checker lap was done, you have the cool down lap. 
where drivers like the winner will go to the victory the winner will like, do his burnouts whatever yeah i guess i guess road. i've never seen that because i'm just so used to seeing the camera oh, on i can the send winner. it to you it's a good finish <laughs> um that's whoa but yeah so he spun him out on the the last one and then that's just done it's kind of like yeah. in baseball where you hit the other guy hit the other guy and then we're finished if we if we take it to yeah, the next pr- level pretty then it much gets too it, you know it's you know some draw i mean there's been fights in nascar there like physical fights Jeff Gordon was in one a couple years ago. What was what was the top one that you can? Uh, top what's your fight? favorite one? Yeah. Oh man, nothing probably beats the nineteen seventy nine Daytona five hundred. It was between Cale Yarborough and Bobby Allison. During he, the race, it after was the, it was the last lap of the, of the Daytona five hundred. Now this is like if you just look up NASCAR the fight, you'll see it right away. Just it's the iconic. Fun. The funny story behind this one is... Daytona 79. Okay. Yeah. The funny thing about this one is CBS had just started their contract with NASCAR Broadcasting. It was their first race ever. And the whole entire Northeast had this monstrous snowstorm, so people were snowed in. Got nothing they, else to watch. Yeah, so people were watching it. And what happened was they were going down the back straightaway, and I believe it was Bobby who tried to make a pass on the inside and hit the grass and then got into Kale. So these two are just like, you know, wait, like going back and forth. They're bumping into each other. Like, you know, they're, they're losing the control of their car. And eventually, Bobby spun to the right and put Kale in the wall because he was wrecking. Richard Petty comes flying by. He gets the win. After the race is done, all of a sudden, there's a monstrous fight. There's helmets being thrown, punches being thrown. Did they thrown. even do the cool down thing, or they just started going? Well, no, because they had wrecked. Right, and so they, they couldn't go anywhere. They slide down the track. They're in the grass. They're wrecked. They're done for the race. Here comes Richard Petty. He flies by. Gets in there. Wins the race. The minute the race is done, I don't, the cameras never captured who got out first. But all of a sudden, all you hear is, you know, and Richard Petty wins the race. And there's a fight between <laughs> Kale Yarborough and Bobby Allison. They know they've lost the great American. Like, it was a beautiful call. And you just see helmets being thrown. There's 40 people. Like, the track crews trying to separate them. Like, it was a lot. Wow. Yeah, but Jeff Gordon has a lot had of a emotion of his own the past couple of years. Has he? Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, he was in the same organization as Jimmy at a time, right? Jeff actually found Jimmy. He did? Yes. Because... Some drivers will run the Cup Series and the, well, what was then the Bush Series, the Xfinity Series, which is like the AAA of NASCAR. Some drivers, because sponsors want them to run their cars in the lower series. Um, More advertisement, right? Yeah. And some, like Pe- it was Pepsi. Pepsi wanted Jeff Gordon and only Jeff running the Pepsi car. That's what he did. So there was a race in Michigan a couple, you know, back in like, it was, I think, the middle of 2000 or mid-1999, or where Jeff was trying to pass Jimmy. And he could not get around Jimmy. Jimmy was just racing too well, and Jeff was like, "Damn, he's he's good." Now Jimmy has only Jimmy only won a handful of Xfinity races. He did not have the most. He didn't set the world on fire in the Xfinity. Series. No, he was just another random. He didn't have the, the sexiest field. resume at the time. Yeah, no, not at all. And you know, Jimmy kept leaning on Jeff for advice. They became friends, and then eventually, you know, Jeff Gordon went to Rick Hendrick and said, "What do you think of this Jimmy Johnson kid?" And Lowe's Home Improvement, Lowe's, Lowe's store, Jimmy had pitched to them, you know, how about sponsoring them? And Lowe's was like, I don't really know. And the ceiling of the deal was, if you sponsor every single race of the 2002 season, you will have me, Jeff Gordon, available for promotional material. Where do I sign? To Lowe's. Mm-hmm. You, you advertise my buddy, he drives your car. And I'll do I these will also advertise for, for you. you. Where do I sign? What a guy. And he started for Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, he's the one that brought Jimmy Johnson into the Cup Series. And you know, some people think it was a it was a mistake because you know now he has more he has 
Jimmy has to win nine more races to pass Jeff on the all-time win list. He's got three more championships than Jeff. So people are like, you know, That's okay, incredible. maybe it was a bad. But they even those two, you know, they've had a spat on track before too, where you know Jimmy and Jeff got into each other on track and they were pissed at each other for like three weeks. I mean, you guys, it's year after year. It's not like different. It's not like you're facing a lot of different people. It's starting to be the same type of guys. You start to yeah. realize the triggers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But realizing that Jeff Gordon started my favorite NASCAR guy, big nostalgia yeah. moment and for Jeff me. Jeff owns that forty-eight car. He still, he does. He right? has half ownership of it. Wow, wow! I, that, that really inspired me to go home and uh, unlock that 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 NASCAR black 05. and that black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wipe off the dust of the NASCAR 05 play. So uh, Kevin Harvick, I never liked him. Twenty-nine. He's good. I mean, hey, I he's, he's ever since he left Richard Childress Racing, he's got he's got championship. He's made the final four. I, I think. All right, so Mike, a question I've always had with the the industry is how drivers get their foot in the door. Well, every driver has a different path. Some drivers started as mechanics. Some drivers started as uh, just people working at the race shops. Some people even. I mean, nowadays. The most popular way to get started right now is actually not on the racetrack at all. You're kidding. It's virtually. Virtually? There's a game out there called iRacing. Okay. It's considered the motorsports racing simulator, if you will. It's, it's, it's like a yearly game. You know, you pay X amount of money a year for membership to it, and you race online. Not not a remote. So steering wheel? Brakes? Yes. You, I mean, Acceleration? Some people, they do go all out, and they buy... Um, they buy the chair, the wheel, the pedals, the shifter, everything. Wow. Um, and so, like uh, Dylan Coyle mm -hmm. here, he actually plays plays i racing too. Um, I wish I found it early on before I got my Mac and whatever. Right. That's a different story. <laughs> but basically, what happens is uh, there's a NASCAR video game out there called NASCAR Heat Three right now. That's the NASCAR video game series. It was actually yesterday. They just announced the esports series of because esports are becoming big now. Right. ESPN is starting to cover esports. My buddy told me, yeah, he's a big Fortnite guy, and as yeah. much as you could joke about it, it's it. There's a lot of money People to be made. People get scholarships for Fortnite. There's a college in I think Arizona that does Fortnite scholarships. That's it's incredible. insane. But Whoa. so this contest what, is real quick. Why do you why do you think so much money's going into the video game world right now? I think just because we have you know it's YouTube. Really. Mm -hmm. yeah, and what's, just, that, what's that? Twitch? Is that another one? Twitch. Too? Twitch is a streaming service. Stream. But if you just type in. If you just type in the letter F on YouTube in the search bar, I can guarantee you the first 17 search results will be Fortnite something. Because people, you know, they're, you know, people like, uh, I think his name is Ninja. Mm -hmm. He's a live streamer that does Fortnite. Uh, a bunch of other video game streamers are just doing Fortnite, and it's becoming so massively popular. It's becoming a cultural phenomenon. It's like when Angry Birds came out for the iPhone. There was Angry Birds t-shirts. There was Angry Birds merchandise. I guarantee you one day you're going to see a Fortnite movie. Really? Yeah. Making the call right now? Because it, 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 right now it's on that same path. You know, these guys are more, you know, the Angry Birds was a lot of merch. Yes. And I think there's there's still a lot of merch with, with Fortnite. But these guys, like people are watching them, studying them, trying yeah. to get better by doing that. Um, so, big thing. so the, the iRacing specifically, like you, like you were yeah. talking about. So there's iRacing, which many, many people go on. And personally, I never tried it. I always wanted to. And then, you know, recently, like I said, the 704 Games just came out with the NASCAR eSports series. And they actually got seven of the top tier NASCAR teams involved in this. So what's going to happen is, uh, if I read this correctly, 
starting on December 6th, which is which actually yesterday, um, until January 15th, you just race online. You just hop into a lobby and you race online. Whoa. 704 Games is going to gather your data in terms of how you ran a tracks. The more times you run track like a portfolio. Yeah. The more times you race online, the more stats you can gather. On January 15th, the seven top teams in NASCAR are going to come to 704 Games. They're going to look at the data and they're actually going to pull two drivers for their own team. One for Xbox One, one for PlayStation 4. And that alone will be its own championship series. Oh my God. And the goal is, you know, like I said before, uh, there's a driver for Hendrick Motorsports. His name's William Byron. In 2013, he went to his first NASCAR race at Martinsville. Jeff Gordon won the race. Mm. He then got involved in iRacing. And he was discovered by Dale Earnhardt Jr. on iRacing. Because there's even drivers who race on iRacing either for fun or for serious you know, to learn the track. That's right. what a lot of young drivers do now. Well, if they can't go testing at the racetracks, let's just buy a rig and let's test it myself. Let's be there in my living room. Yeah. And some of these setups, you know, they're, you know, triple screen setups with the steering wheel, the shifter, metal pedals, the keyboard, like everything. Like for some people, this is legit a room in their house. It's just their iRacing rig. It's Whoa. insane. And so that's the main way now to get involved. In the past years, before video games became a big thing, you would really have to start at a very, very young age. Jeff Gordon, actually, when he, he was born in, um, in California. All right. Okay. Uh, he, was, he was born in Vallejo, California. That's, I think, in Southern California. He started racing at a very young age, like four years old. And he wanted, there's multiple leagues as you, you know, you typically start off in like maybe go-karts. All right. And then there's something called the midgets, which is like very, it's kind of like, um, they're, they're basically just small. They're bigger than go-karts, but not like, you know, jumbo size NASCAR stock cars. All right. In Indiana. Top on them and stuff like that? Yeah, top, top. on them and everything. Else. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like you're caged in. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Now I can get it. In Indiana at the time, Jeff wanted to go up to another series, but by state, the laws vary in terms of age. So Jeff's family picked everything up and they moved to... Indiana, and that's where his racing career really took off because he got involved in leagues because the law, the rules there were younger people. He was able to okay. compete in bigger leagues at a younger, younger age. age. And Jeff actually was going to head into the open wheel route, like IndyCar, that kind of stuff, until he did a test with Bill Davis Racing in 1989 or 90, um, and he loved it. He jumped in the car, and all of a sudden, you know, they signed them to a contract. I mean, it's also, it's very expensive because there was a point in my life, I think I was maybe 12 years old or so, where I told my dad, I was like, you know, I sent out uh, an email to the Bandolero, the Bandolero series. That's basically, these are the kind of go-karts that you see like at a go-kart track, like a go-kart complex that mm -hmm. down the shore. They look like mini, mini, mini stock cars. Oh, okay. Everybody's seen them before. Oh, yeah, yeah. On, on the Ocean City boardwalk? Yeah. Uh, Gillian's little thing? Yeah, yeah like they, they look like real NASCAR stock cars, but they, they're very, very tiny. Yes. That's a legit racing series. Is it? Yeah, it's called the Bandolaro series. Is there a certain age for that? Um, I believe the age is between 12 and 16. That's awesome. I believe. So You literally sit outside, like pretty much half of you is yeah. like out of the car, like above the car. Not well, no, in, in this case, you're completely concealed. Okay, still concealed. All yeah, right, like, right. like you hop into the car like, you know, like it's a... Um, like I said, it's a car. You have to get into the window net, you know, and oh, all that see, fun okay, stuff. Okay. There's no shifting involved. It's no. just mash to get past the gas pedal and go. 
but for for this league, you know, they actually run uh, they run Atlanta, they run Charlotte, they mm-hmm. run Texas, they run at a bunch of tracks across the country. They're basically oval tracks, but they're like if you ever look at some NASCAR tracks in the like they're 1.5 mile ovals, for example. If you look at the infield, like where it says like the track logo and like you know like the race sponsor and the grass, you're gonna see two uh, half circles, if you will, okay. opposite directions, um, and they basically form one giant paperclip. Right. They use the front straightaway of the track, and then it turns into the grass. It's asphalt. Turns mm-hmm. into the grass. The back straightaway of this track is pit road, going the opposite way, and then okay. turns three and four is in the grass again. All right. So basically, it's a track within a track. Whoa. And that's what they race on. So they are racing on a NASCAR track. They are. Except you know they're not going around the whole entire track because these cars only go like not that fast. Now you're talking. Is this is this this asphalt inside the yellow inside the line? Yes. The slippery earth. Isn't it, yes. You don't want to go in that if you're NASCAR no. driving. No. And not please. especially not if you're uh, playing NASCAR 05. Yeah. No. Chase the cup with no flags. Let me tell you, with no flags, man. It's fun. It's oh, fast. baby. Some people do that. Oh man, it's I'm guilty. Awesome. Yeah, right? Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm guilty. And Everybody then, does it. And then if you bag the race, sometimes like going in the opposite direction, just That's, nail the first person. Most people will go to the super speedways. Yeah. They, they, okay, green flag, yeah, you slam on the brakes, you turn around, <laughs> you floor it 180 into the, other, into the other drivers. People do that. And that's actually been a problem for some of the NASCAR games now is, you know, the, the developers are having trouble policing that because some people will just, they'll start a race. I race online all the time. And there's times where like, Oh, you know, so they'll do it online. Yeah. These guys will just be like, oh. Just no, screw this. Online. Like oh, that's not fun. I just do it, you know, just in game mode or whatever. Yeah, no, you can't do it online. That's like that's like quitting Madden mm-hmm. like halfway through. But the Bandolaro series, that's one way. Okay. You have, and then typically drivers will graduate to the late model program, which are longer cars, not as powerful. Uh, these are your classic short track asphalt tracks, like like quarter mile, half mile tracks. It's like um, it's like your neighborhood like speedway it's mm-hmm. nothing big but like there's been a lot of fans or a lot of drivers that have came up through the ranks through late models dale jr was one of them no oh. he used to run at tracks all over north and south carolina and you know there are still fans of his that remember fondly little e going around in the number three sundrop car is that what he he yeah he, his son, so sundrop was his father of his. how yep. about that uh, so he drove three for that series yes and then moved up to eight once he started getting once he established himself yeah, he never got involved in the truck series because it just wasn't, they felt like wasn't it was unnecessary. When the truck series first started, people thought it was a gimmick and it wasn't really that popular. Uh, but as time went on, it became more popular. Which was when, about when, circa? Uh, 1995. Okay. 96. The truck series wasn't. It, is this like a, is it like a minor league type system? Yes. Is, is that really what? Exactly what it is. Okay. Th- think of the MLB. You have single A, double A, triple A. The league. And, and the league, which is, you know, MLB. Underneath the truck series, there are two series. There is the K&N series, which K&N is the sponsor. Uh, there's the K&N East series, which they run all East tracks, and the K&N West series. They run the West tracks. And then you have ARCA. ARCA is where is another gateway. There's multiple gateways getting into NASCAR, but there's only one way to the top, and that's truck, Xfinity, Cup. Okay. Um... Arca runs real size stock cars, not as powerful, um, and a lot of people joke because they wreck all the time in there because they're new drivers, like they're fresh faced. You know, they're trying to make a name for themselves. K and N runs the Generation Six car I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. except they're much, they're smaller. Okay, they're a little bit shorter. 
not as powerful either. Um, and Arca, more experience in there. It depends. Yeah. I would probably say more future NASCAR stars are coming through the K and N series than okay. Arca. Arca, like Arca, can't compete with NASCAR. It's definitely not as popular. But NASCAR actually bought Arca. They oh. bought the Arca series. So now Smart. they have two. Well, I guess you could say three: the East series, the West series, and Arca. Three main series that young guns can come through. And there are some teams that actually they they sign deals with some like there's Cup Series teams that will sign deals with the ARCA teams and the K N teams to kind of like groom a driver, for example. That's yeah. Chase Elliott is one of those drivers. He so invest into him a little bit. Hey, we see something in this guy. Yeah. Get he, him while he's cheap. He right? he used to run K N races and then he ran some ARCA races. Hendrick gave him a car. To, Hendrick fielded a car for him. They built a car. Sponsorship was there. Everything. All you had to do was get in the car. That's what drivers do. And you know, uh, Hendrick has been signed with Chase Elliott since I think 2012 or so, because uh, he was originally signed with Ford, and then you know Hendrick Hendrick got him away. But you have a lot of big teams that want to think about the future. You know, someone like Hendrick Motorsports right now, you have Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, William Byron, three very young guys. They're not going anywhere, probably. Jimmy Johnson, probably going to retire in the next three years. So someone's got to fill that spot. That's where the ARCA and K&N East Series can come in. Gotcha. It's kind of like gentleman agreements. Like William Byron drove for Kyle Busch in the truck series for one year. Okay. Dale Jr. and William and Kyle had an agreement where, you know, we don't have a spot for him in the truck series, but we, we, we need to get him some experience. On a handshake gentleman's agreement, he will run your truck for one year. All right. Interesting. That's how it goes. So the, it's the field... Just like it seems, or it is, media is, it's all about knowing people. Yes. And totally. being at the right time at the right place. Yes. Right place at the right time. Yes. And reaching out when it doesn't seem like you were at the Eagles game for an Eagles game. You could have just been totally focused on the Eagles game. Mm -hmm. But you met the guy working with NASCAR, mm -hmm. correct? So it, it's just, it's incredible. Uh, the whole industry is like that. I guess well, life is, is life just like that, Mike Carey? Well, the main thing I think about all this is your connections are so valuable. You never, ever know who you're sitting next to and who they know. You never know that. You, Jimmy, for example, you might know someone who might have the key to my career. I might have someone with your key. You don't know that. That's why it's just, it's so pivotal. And this is kind of just a life lesson. Just be, just be kind to people because... I've had this so many times where it's kind of like deja vu where it's like, you know, uh, I mean, he, he he's all right or, or she's all right, like, you know, just as being a friend. But then you realize like, oh, my God, like this person knows someone in my industry. I'll give you a perfect example. There was a woman from ESPN. I'm blanking on her name. Forgive me. She is an iconic baseball writer for ESPN. Claire Smith. Claire Smith. Claire Smith. Claire Smith. She came into the studio uh, a couple weeks ago. She was with you. Yeah. Right. And toured the station while I was on the air. And I came out and I was talking to Claire, John DeCarlo, and a couple other people. And the minute I said NASCAR, all of a sudden one of the guys goes in his Wawa and says, I know the VP of content for NASCAR. When you get down there, give him a call. Oh, my God. That happened right in front of me. I didn't even see that. Mm -hmm. He hit. Wow. He, and, I, and I emailed the guy right away. I said, thank you so much for the contact information. Uh, can I please have the guy's email? I emailed him, and the guy said, when we get down here, you know, stop by headquarters, and we'll talk. So you're, this is a question I had. This is just a, one of the questions I've had for you, just on a life basis type thing. If you're reaching out for the first time, give me your generic, your standard email, things you have to hit. So you, you've told me about a couple emails that you've sent, and each one has started with thank you. 
That yeah. seems to be big for you. Typically, I start out with, you know, hello, hello, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. My name is Michael Carey, and I am a fifth-year journalism major at Temple University studying broadcasting. And then after that, I'll, I'll talk about how I got their information. Oh, um, I was fortunate enough to meet so-and-so who stopped by my radio station, and we talked for a little while, and he mentioned that he knows you and, you know, your industry. And I'll just mention, you know, uh, for, for me personally, you know, this – I'm doing this right now. I've worked for NASCAR. I worked for NBC, for Fox, um, and here are my goals. I would love to connect with you, and, and just uh, just talk to you about the industry. You know, just just be ask questions. Don't be too pushy. Just ask questions. Don't sell yourself too much because you don't want to be too overbearing. And the guy contacted me back, and he said, you know, hey Michael, great to hear from you. I heard a lot about you. Um, you know, w- once you get down to Charlotte, come by headquarters, and we'll have a talk. So there's the first of many meetings I'm going to have with people down in Charlotte. And you aren't even there yet. No. I'm two months away. Unbelievable. Mike, it was an absolute gosh damn pleasure having you on, Thank dude. Thank you, Jimmy. I am very happy with uh, your show. Because I remember when you sent me the show proposal. And unfortunately, we couldn't make it into a show. But this was really one of the shows that kicked off the idea of a podcast department. Thank you, Mike. Because I know how you work. I know how you are. And, you know, I, I really see you as a treasure for the station because of how you carry yourself and how your on-air stuff is. I am exceedingly happy with the way that this podcast has gone. And, like I said, this show was really one of the reasons why the podcast department was started in the first place. Thank you so much, So that's Mike. a little something that... I appreciate you know, that. Next time you go on, it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm one of the reasons why this started. <laughs> I feel Thank pretty you. damn good. <laughs> well, just uh, just talking to you made me feel pretty damn good, Mike. God bless in all of your future endeavors. And to all the listeners at home, have a terrific night. And God bless.